Tell me this, have you ever tried to record a podcast interview only to end up with the most glitchy footage you've ever seen? Like the audio is all weird and the video is dropping frames left and right? That is what happens when you don't use Riverside to record your online podcast interviews. I love using Riverside when I record interviews for the Creator Club podcast, and it's what I recommend to all our podcast clients at Creatorly Media as well. Riverside is unique because it actually records your own audio and video locally, like on your your computer, and then it uploads it simultaneously while you're recording. So this means when you're all done recording, you'll have the crisp, high quality audio and video files for both you and your guest ready to download. It is such a game changer to have all your tracks locally recorded and separately too, which means you can get the best quality for everyone on the call and it makes your life way easier in editing. Plus it's super easy for your guests to use as well. You can just send them a link to join. If you want to try Riverside for yourself, go to riverside.com. FM and use the code KD15 for 15% off of any Riverside plan. That is K-A-T-I-E-1-5 for 15% off at Riverside.fm. Thanks so much to Riverside for sponsoring the Creator Club podcast. People ask me all the time if I have a manager or someone who helps me secure brand deals. And the answer, drum roll please, is yes. And that person is myself. I know. I got you there. You might be surprised. A lot of creators that are getting to like around my size of audience would probably be thinking about looking for an agency or a manager or some kind of representative to help them secure brand deals. I've been creating content for more than 10 years. And during that time, I have made adjustments and pivots in my content, routines, strategies, and workflows across all of the different tasks that I do between creating my videos to creating content for Instagram and to how I work with brands. And toward the end of 2022, I finally found the brand deal workflow that not only helps me manage myself in the most efficient way possible, but also helped me bring in over $17,000 of revenue for brand deals in January alone. So today I'm going to share with you the multi-step process of how I did that so that you can do it too. So let's get into it. Today, I'm spilling the tea on how I completely manage myself as a full-time content creator, and I'm gonna share the systems and processes that allow me to do that. Welcome to the Creator Club podcast produced by Creatorly Media. I'm your host, Katie Steckley. I'm a side hustle YouTuber turned six-figure CEO that's obsessed with social media, making content, and building communities. Here on the Creator Club podcast, we dive deep into the social media and content creation strategies that are important to you as a creator. Whether you want to grow on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, or with a podcast, we've got advice for you. So stay tuned for my workshop style solo shows and the occasional expert interview. Oh, and by the way, this club is open to everyone. Whether you have one or 1 million followers, there's a seat for you at the table. So let's get into it. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Creator Club podcast, y'all. I'm so happy to be in your earbuds today talking about something that I'm honestly quite passionate about, which is self-managing as a content creator or influencer. I think this is something that is honestly not well known about in the creator space. A lot of people assume that with a certain level of success and a certain level of audience growth, that automatically is going to translate to you have a manager you have a representative or you're working with an agency. And certainly for many people, that is the case. But honestly, the more I've chatted with my creator friends and the more research I've done into this, unfortunately, I think that in many cases, that is not always the best route to take. Now, look, I am not out here bashing agencies or managers. I'm sure there are many awesome ones out there that are truly, truly helping their clients. So like their creators, their influencers secure some awesome brand partnership. However, if you are a business oriented creator and you're someone who likes to be in control of your own career and you're looking at how you can kind of make probably the most money possible out of your brand deals, then thinking about self-management it's probably going to be the best route for you. And a lot of people are just intimidated by it. They don't understand what would be involved. And so that's why they think automatically I'm going to need a manager because they don't know what it might look like to do it for themselves. So that's really why I wanted to share this episode with you so that you could have a sense of what it looks like to do it yourself. And then you can make a truly informed decision about whether or not it's worth it to you to have a manager or an agency. Because depending on if A, you don't have the time, um, or B, you just simply do not like doing the tasks that I'm about to describe in this episode, then it might make sense for you to seek out a great manager or agency for you to work with. And all power to you if that's what you decide. But the reason why I'm so passionate about this is I think a lot of up and coming creators who maybe have a couple viral pieces of content that kind of shoot them into the professional creator career, they're uninformed about what's truly involved when it comes to getting brand deals. And so they end up in subpar situations with managers or agencies where they're really not getting the best deal, but they don't fully understand what they could be getting if they were doing it solo. So this is really just for informational purposes. I want you to understand what the process looks like for someone who does manage themselves. I make 100% of my brand deal revenue. I don't have to pay a commission to any manager or agency. And so I want you to know what work I'm actually putting in in order to make that happen. And then by the end of this episode, if you understand the work involved and you're still like, no, it's worth it to me to like pay that 20 or 25% to an agency or a manager, then you do that girl. That is up to you. Okay. So that is the purpose behind today's episode. So let's just get in to what this process looks like. All of the steps involved that made me that 17 K in January off of brand deals that I did. Okay. So the very first thing that we need to put on the table here is that honestly brands come to me now. I know that that can be a little bit frustrating for beginner creators to hear because you very well could be in a position where you are trying to get brand deals, like just get in contact with a brand that you might want to work with. And so I just want to be open and transparent with you in that right now, what my workflow is, 
is essentially opening up my inbox and seeing like a brand partnership request. That's where the beginning of my workflow starts um, because I do have a pretty consistent, I mean, I'll be honest that it ebbs and flows. Sometimes it feels like there's lots of opportunities. Sometimes it feels like there's less, but in general, I don't go out and pitch brands for opportunities. I have done that. And sometimes I will do it every so often for a brand that I'm really excited about. But for the most part, I work with brands that come to me. So that's kind of the reality of my current situation. Um, So that's where we're going to start discussing my process. But if you are not at that point, and if you are interested in an entire episode, maybe about how you can start attracting brands to you and start getting brands reaching out to you, let me know. You can send me a DM on Instagram. My username is just at Katie Steckley. Um, cause I'd be curious to hear from you if you are interested in that, because, uh, we can get into some tips and tricks for how to get brands to start finding you and reaching out to you. Or I could also include in that how to start pitching brands and tips and tricks that I have related to that. So that's just a little bit of an aside to say, yeah, I know the brands come to me. That is how it goes for me. That might not be the case for you. And I'd be happy to provide some advice and information about how to get that to be your situation. But just let me know if you'd be into that. But just a quick summary of um, a couple of things that you can start implementing uh, to get brands reaching out to you is really focusing your time and energy on developing an audience that is similar to the audience that the brands you want to work with would like to reach. So essentially what I'm saying is if you have some dream brands that you love and trust and want to recommend, think about who their ideal customer is, and then think about how you can build an audience that is similar to that ideal customer. And I know that might sound really like contrived and manufactured, but in reality, it probably will be quite organic because obviously if you already love that brand and trust them and recommend them to your friends, you are probably their ideal customer. And for a lot of content creators, their audiences are usually quite similar to them because their audience is just you know, naturally going to connect with their personality and probably have similar interests, right? So because of that, the brands you want to work with, like their target customers are probably going to be kind of similar to your ideal audience. But just think that through and be really intentional about crafting content that will attract that kind of an audience because that's essentially what brands are looking for, right? They're looking for creators that have an audience that matches the profile of the customers they want to reach. So if you can develop that audience and start collecting metrics that proves that your audience matches with your target brands, like ideal customers, you're going to be setting yourself up for success for future brand deals. And then truly the next piece of the puzzle is just really building up an engaged community so that you have some really good metrics Even if you don't have a million followers, if you have a high engagement rate and you have proof that your audience will actually click on your links and follow your recommendations, that is going to be really convincing to brands that you may pitch in the future or brands that might reach out to you. So if you can start experimenting with trackable links in any way, even if it's literally just a bit.ly link to your latest blog post or or to a product that like you might not even have an affiliate link for that product. But if you can create a bit.ly link for it and you really truly love it and you want to recommend it, throw that link up on your story and you can track it to see how many people actually click a link when you recommend something. Those are important stats that you will want to have in your back pocket so that you can prove to a brand, even if you've never done a paid brand deal before, you can say, look, when I recommended my favorite kind of 
sunscreen or whatever it might be to my audience this is how many people clicked on it i do that sometimes still just out of curiosity so that i can see what my engagement is looking like and what people are interested in for example this is very random but i have like this walking pad which is basically a very um slim profile treadmill that's like quite portable and i sometimes use it at my standing desk at home and i had lots of people asking me about this treadmill and trust me i tried to create a reward style link so that i could actually make a little commission off of posting about this treadmill but there was no way for me to to get an affiliate link for it but I created a genius link. That's the platform I personally use. I created a genius link for this walking pad just out of curiosity to see, you know, how many people are interested in this, how many clicks am I getting? And I've got over like 300 clicks on this and I've shared it on my story like once and I've got it on my like website. Um, it's kind of buried, but anyway, the point is y'all are interested in this walking pad somehow. So anyway, that's a very random example, but the point is it's useful to track these things, even if you aren't making commission off of it, because you can start to build up a case for future brand deals to say like, look, when I posted about X or Y, this is the engagement rate. This is how many clicks I got. You could expect to see similar results if you worked with me. So all of those are different pieces to the puzzle. And like I was saying, that is just a little bit of a preview of what I could get into in a more in-depth episode about how to set yourself up for success when it comes to working with brands. So hopefully that's a little bit of a teaser to give you some ideas of what you can get started with. That's my little uh, compensation for starting this off by saying brands come to me. So hopefully those tips can help you um, and let me know if you want a more in-depth episode. But getting back to my workflow, like I said, it kicks off when I open up my inbox and I see that I have a brand partnership request. The very first step here is to vet the brand and decide if I want to work with them or not. And then if I do want to work with them, I'll send them my media kit. So once I open an email from a brand, I read through the email and if my interest is piqued, I begin the vetting process. So essentially, we got to do a little bit of an internet stock. Okay. I'm going to look at their website, their products, their reviews, their social media profiles. The list goes on. We really want to figure out who is this brand? What do they stand for? What's their mission and how do they present themselves online? Obviously these are things that we're looking for. If we're not already familiar with the brand, sometimes there are beautiful serendipitous moments where a brand that I'm already familiar with reaches out to me. And then I get very excited and I'm like, this is awesome. I feel famous. <laughs> I very, very rarely feel like that. So it's very exciting when I recognize a brand and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. You know, notion wants to work with me or whatever it might be. And that's always very exciting. But if I don't recognize the brand, I'm going to do some in-depth research to figure out who they are. And if, you know, I vibe with them and if I'd be comfortable representing them and obviously recommending them to y'all. And of course, if they have some kind of product offering, I am going to try it out myself, make sure that it's effective and it's helpful for my audience and the type of content I make. Mostly these quote unquote products, it's like software products, right? So it's like some kind of application or some kind of website, editing software, anything like that, right? That's like who I tend to work with. And I want to make sure that it's something I would either A, personally use myself because I find it really, really helpful and I think it's awesome 
obviously Notion falls into that category. The sponsor of the podcast for the past few episodes, you probably noticed Riverside FM, that falls into this category as well. Otherwise, my second category of kind of software or apps or tools that I recommend are tools that maybe I wouldn't personally use on a daily basis because of the point in my career that I'm at, but I know they would be helpful to y'all because the reality is a lot of my audience are more so beginners. They may be just getting started. They may be looking for options that are, you know, more user-friendly, more beginner-friendly, or potentially free. Whereas me, as somebody who's been creating content for 10 plus years, I'm using a lot of like expensive pro software. I'm a Premiere Pro girly through and through, and you know that's what I'm always gonna be editing my videos with. I'm using Premiere Pro on my laptop or I'm using Adobe Rush on my phone. But if I come across a video editing app that is super user-friendly, it's probably more affordable than either of those two, and I think it's a really great user experience and I think it would be really helpful, I will also recommend that to y'all because I know that it's gonna be valuable to my audience, even if it's not necessarily something I personally use on a daily basis, right? So that's kind of how I think about it. I know a lot of kind of different categories of influencers, for example, lifestyle influencers, they would say like, you know, I'm never gonna recommend a product unless I personally use it. And I think that makes a lot of sense when it comes to makeup, skincare, all of that, because you need to use that for a long time you know, in order to decide if it's really good. And so you you personally probably want to be, you know, a dedicated user of, of what you're recommending. Um, but because of that kind of slight difference between where I'm at versus where my audience is at in the process, I think it makes sense for me sometimes to recommend beginner-friendly stuff that I'm not necessarily implementing every day, but I know that I'm like, if I was a beginner and I was just getting started with editing videos, I know I would love this, you know, that I'm gonna work with that brand and like recommend it. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight into my decision-making process of what brands I work with and maybe it you know would help you figure out how you would maybe vet brands obviously you know the bare minimum is you want to feel like that brand is a good company and that they're not doing anything disagreeable or like unethical in your view I think that you know should go without saying but then hopefully that little explanation that I dove into about um you know, whether it's something you use or that you think your audience would use, you know, those are things that you can think about when it comes to deciding whether or not to work with a brand. Okay, so once I've decided if I think this is a brand worth working with, then it's time to send them my media kit, like I mentioned. So if you are new to the term, um, let me explain a little bit of what a media kit might include. So your media kit should include a little bit about you and your brand, you probably want to list your social media stats, your audience demographics, your rates for the content that you could create with them. And of course, those offerings, like descriptions of what those different content packages might be. If you need a little help in this department, figuring out exactly what to include here, I actually just launched a media kit template, which is literally an exact replica of my own personal media kit that I have been using in order to secure these brand deals. So obviously, you know, it's pretty darn effective. So if you wanna check that out, I've got it linked in the show notes. As always, you can find all my digital products at katiesteckley.com shop. So if you want some help uh, getting your media kit template set up, go check that out. It's in Canva, so it's very easy for you to fill out your own personal details, and it's designed after my successful media kit template. So, okay, you put together an effective media kit that has all that important information, and then you send it off. Once I send my media kit, 
I'm going to be adding that potential brand partner to my brand partnerships tracker, which is a page that I have set up in Notion. I use this to keep track of all my potential brand deals and I write notes about the interactions and the communication that I've had with that brand. I think these are the pieces to the puzzle that a lot of times managers and agencies will fill in for creators, like basically keeping up that relationship with potential brands. Um, And that's why I, I created a notion brand partnerships database in order to track all of that stuff. Because, you know, before I was just basically depending on follow-ups landing in my inbox, and that's not a great way to go. Whereas keeping this all tracked in a database, I can set reminders for myself to follow up, not only about like brands who have reached out, but I maybe haven't heard from to actually secure the brand deal. But I also set myself reminders to double check that invoices are getting paid and all that good stuff. So once I've sent out that media kit, I'm going to add that brand partner into the database. Obviously we're going to add in their name, the contact that I have with the brand. And I also have some other like tags that I like to add, like whether this is a new brand or a brand I've worked with in the past, just so that I have some good context in that database when I need to check it to see where I'm at with my various brand deals. And then I add a little negotiation status to that new brand. So basically that indicates to me that I'm still chatting with them about rates, deliverables, all that stuff. Like it's in progress, but we haven't landed on an agreement yet. Um, And then I organize my overall tracker based on the status. So whether like the content is currently in process, like we're working on it, whether I'm negotiating with the brand right now, whether the content's completed and the invoice has been sent, you know, it's kind of organized in chunks so I can always see what my current projects are. So this really helps me keep track of the brands that I've had conversations with and it helps me do any of those follow-ups like I was talking about. By the way, the brand tracker is included in my Notion content creator bundle. If you're curious, again, you know where to go, katiesteckley.com slash shop. Okay, the next step in this process is the brand will normally come back at this point and we will start the negotiation process. So once they've had a chance to review my media kit, they usually come back with an offer. Now, sometimes it's a super easy process. Sometimes they're good with my quoted rates and we just move right to the contract stage. I'm gonna be honest, if that happens, that's maybe an indication that the rate could have been higher. As soon as a brand comes back, like immediately saying, oh yeah, we have the budget for that, no problem. You think, hmm, maybe I should have asked for more. So if you're feeling like that's happening to you a lot, that might be a good indicator that you could increase your rates. I feel like I'm always in a little bit of a movement with that where I'm like trying a little bit more and then I'll have some brands that like have a little bit more pushback. And then I feel like if about half of your brands are saying, um, I don't know if we can really do that number, then that means that you're probably at a good rate. Like if you're getting agreements immediately all the time, it's probably too low. But if half of the time brands are saying, oh, you know, actually, could we go lower? It's probably a good indication that you are at the right point with your numbers. So anyway, sometimes they will come back and just say, yep, that sounds good. Let's move on to the contract. That makes my life easy. But other times they might ask to do it for less, which normally leads to a little bit of a back and forth until we reach an agreement that we feel like is fair for both of us. Now, I know this process in particular can be a little bit awkward for some people. This is the part that I know a lot of creators and influencers really appreciate having a manager or an agency for because it takes out that awkwardness of trying to kind of like validate yourself and prove why you're worth X amount of money. 
Um, and I get that. I sympathize with that. I think for me, um, as a small business owner, as someone who's been a freelancer and like negotiated with clients for many years now, um, I'm a little bit more comfortable with it. And I will admit once you get to the point where like you have more opportunities, it starts to feel easier to walk away from some. I'm not even fully at that point yet, to be honest, because I always have a little bit of a thought in the back of my mind of like, but what if I don't get another opportunity? I should really take this, you know? So it can be really hard to just walk away and say, eh, if you don't want to pay me that, that's fine. We don't have to work together. So I will admit there's definitely like an emotional kind of aspect to this whole negotiation process that can kind of make it difficult. But I do think if you can kind of get through that and just, it's sort of a mindset thing, really. If you can overcome that, then, you know, it can be worthwhile. And if you can't and you really don't want to, then maybe it is worth, you know, giving somebody 15 or 20% commission or whatever in order to do that for you. But for me, I've just decided that this is something that, you know, I'm comfortable doing and you just, you know, kind of got to go through it. And, you know, it's over email. It's not like I'm literally getting on a call with people being like, no, please pay me this. Like we're doing it over email. So that, you know, the asynchronous nature of it makes it a little bit more comfortable for me. So there's some back and forth. Eventually we'll either come to an agreement or I'll have to say, you know what? Sorry, I can't do it for that rate or whatever. Um, but once we agree at this point, I will ask them to send me a contract. So once they're like, yep, okay, we're good with X number of dollars for a YouTube integration or whatever it might be. I'll say, okay, awesome. Do you want to send me over an agreement with all the details or would you like me to prepare one? And I would say like 90% of the time, um, they will say, yep, I'll send over the agreement. Um, sometimes when I work with more like startups or smaller brands, they won't have a standard influencer agreement, in which case I will put together one to send them. Sometimes I get questions about this, about what contract I use. I actually bought a template from the contract shop. There's all kinds of fill in the blank contract options there for content creators, freelancers, photographers, all that kind of thing, if you wanna check that out. So I got like the influencer brand agreement one and I just like customize it based on the situation and that that works really well for me. So these contracts were like developed by legitimate lawyers. Um, so, you know, they're good to go, um, which is better than just kind of drawing up your own, which I'll admit I used to do. Okay. Like I used to kind of just base my own contract on other contracts I had seen or templates I had seen online. And like I wrote my own, um, I don't think that's a great idea. I'm, I'm no legal expert whatsoever, and this does not constitute legal advice, but I'm going to guess just writing up your own estimate of what a contract should look like probably isn't a good idea. So, um, it makes me feel better to have, um, this like official template. Um, though, like I said, I'm really only using that probably about 10% of the time. Cause almost always the brand will have a contract that we sign. So once I get their contract, I review it. And again, this is where I pop back in to say, this is an area where probably a lot of creators and influencers appreciate having a manager to do this um, because this is probably my least favorite part of the process, if I am honest, uh, because it can be tedious to read through a contract. It can be a little bit intimidating. It, it's very kind of filled with jargon and like a lot of technical terminology. So it, it can feel pretty um difficult to really read through a contract with a keen eye, but it is quite important that you do so because you never want to sign anything um, if you don't realize what you're agreeing to, right? 
I read through the contract with a particular eye out for anything that indicates usage rights or exclusivity. The thing is, I charge extra for that. And that is indicated in my media kit quite clearly. I say, you know, it is extra for usage rights and exclusivity. But sometimes brands like to be sneaky and they will just put it into the contract anyway without specifically asking about it or negotiating for it first because this will just be their standard contract that they always use or whatever. Um, So you want to look out for that and tell them if you're going to charge extra for it. Um, So yeah, that's just something in particular that I want to recommend that you look out for because I notice this all the damn time, if I'm honest. They're, they're always like, we have a perpetual license to use your face forever and ever. You, you want to make sure that you're charging for them to do that kind of thing. So if you want to make it easy to spot these hidden inclusions in a contract, just use like control or command F on your keyboard. And then you can type in stuff like usage or, um, rights or like perpetual is probably a good one because they often use that one um, or exclusivity or exclusive and that will help you find those different components that you might want to follow up on. Sometimes I will go ahead and like add little revisions to the contract either in you know Word or like Google Docs comments or whatever it might be or if they send it in a PDF sometimes I'll just like send back notes in an email about it Um, and then, you know, we'll do some adjustments or whatever. And once we've agreed that the contract looks good, we will both sign it. Okay. With all of that technical and logistical stuff out of the way, we're finally at the part that we all like to do, which is create the content. So some brands will have some guidelines that they provide you to help with creating your ad or your integration in your content. Once you receive those details from them, which sometimes will be included in the contract, or sometimes they'll send you a creative brief separately. The first step, just like for any piece of content is to start planning and scripting with those guidelines in mind. So I normally like to write out my entire script and send it to the brand for review. Like for YouTube, I will often include the sort of outlines that I've written for the other sections of the video. Sometimes I will only send them the integration. It kind of depends. It's a case by case basis, depending on kind of the nature of our partnership. Um, but either way, I'm going to give them something to review before I actually go ahead and film anything. Cause this allows the brand the opportunity to make any adjustments or suggestions before I ever actually start recording. So that's going to save us both time in the long run. And in a lot of cases, some brand contracts will actually require that you allow them one round of revisions in the planning stage before you actually film. Um, but even if they wouldn't require that, honestly, that's what I would prefer to do, uh, because it's just going to save you time and frustration in the future. So once the brand approves like the written version of what I'm going to create, then I start filming and editing just like I always would. But when working with the brand, you're no longer working on just your normal timeline, right? You have to keep in mind the deadline set by the brand for reviewing the content as well. Some brands want a week to review. Others might be good with just like three business days or whatever. So just keep this in mind when you're creating your content and make sure you're aware of whatever timeline you agreed to with the brand. Once you've edited the content, so in my case, that usually is a YouTube video, but I also do a lot of sponsored reels, especially lately, and obviously sometimes podcast episodes. So I'll upload the video with a thumbnail 
on YouTube and send the brand the unlisted link for review. If they have any changes, then basically I would have to go back to Premiere Pro and like make those changes and then re-upload a new video and all that stuff before actually scheduling it. If they approve, then I can go ahead and just schedule that original video um, and we're all good to go. That always feels good when you get an email back that says no revisions, looks great. Usually this is the point where I will get a trackable or UTM link from the brand for me to add to the description. And so once that's in place and the video is published and it's actually live, then I will send them an email, usually like a from anywhere from 10 minutes to like half an hour after the video has gone live, send a little email saying, thanks so much, the video is now live, here's the link again. Also, I have attached an invoice, which I've prepared, and any necessary tax documents, which usually is for me a W-8 Ben, uh, which is just a tax document that um, international uh, contractors need to fill out for American companies. If you're an American working with American companies, then you would fill out a W-9 form. But normally brands will ask you for this. You don't have to necessarily just offer it right up. They'll follow up and ask if they need it. Um, but when I, I know that they're going to need it, I'll just throw it in there to that email to, to kind of get it out of the way. So that is that content creation process, including revisions, approvals, sending invoices, and all of that stuff. Once all of that is done, it's now time to wait for the payment. Now, when you sign a contract with a brand, they usually will provide you with details about how that payment is going to work. Sometimes it's within a couple weeks after the video has been posted. For a lot of cases, brands will have what they call net 30 or net 45 payment timelines. So what that means is after your invoice has been sent to them, they then have 30 days or 45 days or whatever to actually pay you. That is pretty standard. I know that might sound a little like, oh my gosh, that's so long. Um, but just know like that is usually what I'm looking at in terms of my waiting timelines to get paid. So what this means for a lot of creators is that we will have money like on the books, but not actually in the bank. So it's like, okay, in January I made X number of dollars in brand deals, but I'm not actually going to see that money until maybe February or March. So to bring it back to the title of this podcast that probably got you to click play, um, that's actually how I ended up with over $17,000 in brand deal revenue in January. It's not because the videos and reels and all that stuff that I posted in January, totaled up to 17,000. I actually think my total on the books, if you want to call it that for January was like around $12,000. And again, that money, you know, it's just starting to come in now in mid to late February. So that $17,000 is actually from brand deals that I did in like November and December that just happened to hit my bank account in January. So that delay in the payment process is very normal and something to be expected when you start working with brands. That's just typically how a lot of these companies' invoicing systems are going to work. So just be aware of that. So that is pretty much the workflow. From here, you just repeat this cycle over and over again. Here's the thing, January was a really good month for me when it comes to brand deal revenue, but it's not always like this. Brand deal revenue really fluctuates a lot. Like I was saying, sometimes it feels like there's all kinds of brand deal requests coming in. Sometimes it feels very, very quiet. So that's why I always recommend having multiple revenue streams as a content creator. 
If you want to learn more about this, head over to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Katie. That's just youtube.com slash K-A-T-I-E. And you can check out my video called Exposing My Six Income Streams as a Six-Figure Content Creator. In this video, I share the six income streams that generate on average $30,000 a month for my business. And I'm going to break down exactly where that money comes from and how I run all those different components of my business. So make sure you check that out if you would find that helpful. And let me know again if you would like to hear more about how to kind of set yourself up for success when it comes to brands reaching out to you as a content creator, because I could make a whole episode about that. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creator Club podcast, and I will catch you in the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Creator Club podcast. This show is produced by Creatorly Media, a social media and content marketing agency by creators for creators. If you want professional help growing your social media platforms or creating your content, come visit us at creatorlymedia.com or at creatorlymedia on Instagram. If you've listened this far into the episode, we want to know who you are. Seriously, thank you so much for listening. Screenshot your podcast app and share it to your Instagram story, tagging at Creatorly Media or at Katie Steckley so that we can chat. Again, thanks for listening and remember to keep on creating. We'll catch you next time.